Now, what my intention has been is that every time we do some evangelism training, I'm going to let that spill over in terms of what I share. Yeah, because I want to make sure that we are a church that understands not only what we need to do, but what we are to share with people. And so we have this amazing word, and it is called the gospel. And so I want you for five minutes to have a chat to the person next to you and answer the question, what is the gospel? Now, here's a really good thing. If you're a visitor, then, and you're sitting next to somebody from our church, they will explain to you what the gospel is. Yeah, so... Just for five minutes, turn to the person next to you and have a conversation. What is the gospel? Those who were here yesterday have got a head start. So go for it for five minutes. Have a conversation. Introduce yourself and say, this is what I think the gospel is. Okay, if we can get back together. Now, I would imagine most of you shared... Something like, God is good, man has sinned, um, man's going to get punished, uh, Jesus took our punishment, and we need to put our faith in him. Some, you'd have shared something like that, but there's a little question I'm going to ask you. Um, I don't want you to um, say anything, I just want you to think it's a rhetorical question. What is the difference between the gospel and God's plan of salvation. Just want you to have a think for a moment. What is the difference between the gospel and God's plan of salvation? So, me sharing just those kind of four points that uh, God is good, that we've sinned, that there's punishment for sin, Jesus died. Is that the gospel or the plan of salvation? Okay, plan of salvation. Because the problem is, for most people, the plan of salvation and the gospel is the same thing. But the problem is it isn't. And the reason it isn't is it's only been in the last 150 to 200 years that we have narrowed the gospel, we've reduced it to being only the plan of salvation. But when we read the New Testament, it is broader. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus made a little comment just before he went to heaven. He said, go and make disciples. It's interesting, Jesus did not say, go and plant churches, go and see people converted. He said, go and make disciples. And then he clarified that. He said, you need to baptize them in the, to the Trinity. And then he said, but you need to teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Now, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a majority of the New Testament, if you read an act at the end of his life, he says... I have not been disobedient to the heavenly vision, and I have taught you the whole counsel of God. Wow. Why am I saying that? I'm saying that because there are two things we need to understand. There is God's plan for how to deal with sin, and that plan, if somebody 
takes a hold of it, leads on to something called discipleship. Discipleship is the very beginning um, when we go into the plan of salvation. So when somebody hears that Jesus died for them, when they know that they need to repent of their sin and turn to God, then they embark on a journey of being a disciple. There is no such thing as a Christian who is not a disciple. That does not exist. Because Jesus said, make disciples. He didn't say, make Christians. And I'm, I'm being a bit provocative in using that language because for many people... The gospel and being a Christian is all about, I put my hand up in a meeting, I pray a prayer, and then I'm giving an amazing ticket that gets me into heaven, and then I can do what I like. That's not the gospel. The gospel says that Jesus saves you, but he saves you so that for the rest of your life on earth, you are living and trying to become like Jesus by the power of the Spirit that he gives you, and that you are fulfilling what he wants you to do. And that fulfillment of doing what he wants you to do may go against what you want to do. Do you remember Jesus saying things like, deny yourself, take up your cross every day and follow me? Well, what does that mean? It means actually it's not easy. Here's, here's the big challenge. If as a Christian you are on an easy road, are you on the right road? Because my Bible says hard and narrow is the road that leads to life, but broad and easy is the way that leads to destruction. Now, I'm not trying to make things difficult but I want us to understand that making a decision and saying, Jesus, I want you to forgive my sin naturally leads on to us saying, I now want to follow Jesus. But because the church in the last 200 years has narrowed it, that that is it, we end up in a situation where there's a whole load of people who've prayed and made a decision, but they're not following Jesus. I mean, Jesus said to the disciples, come and follow me. And Jesus is alive today, and when we ask him to forgive our sins, he says, Simon, come and follow me. All that I have done in my life, everywhere I've moved, every major decision that I've made has been made on the basis of Jesus saying, Simon, follow me. You know, I was, uh, I was born in Germany. My parents moved from Germany to Cambridge and then from Cambridge to Coventry. And then I was in Coventry until I was about uh, 21, 22. And God said to me at that age, I want you to go ministry and I want you to go to this place in Norwich. And so I went to, to Norwich. I was part of a ministry there. And that involved, God said, I want you to share the gospel. So I traveled all over Western Europe sharing the gospel. And then he sent me to New Zealand. I was there for seven months doing that. And then I came back and then I was teaching in a Bible school, uh, discipling people. And then God called me to India. And I went out there and helped plant things and train people. I met my beautiful wife and God gave me a family and then God said it's time to go back to the UK and I said anything but being a pastor and God says I want you to be a pastor and I said thank you very much 
You understand, it is following and doing what God wants to do. The, the, the journey of your life should be hallmarked with God speaking and saying, this is, a, what, this is what I want you to do. I had a really, um, uh, Natalie made a really good comment this morning. When I talk about God speaking to me, it's not like I'm sitting there and there's this voice that goes, Simon. Sometimes it's just a sense of something. It's just something that you know, that you know, that you know, and you can't quite explain it, but you know. I was about 18 years old. I had gone and done a, a kind of summer mission away with a group of people. Uh, and I, I came back home, and I just remember waking up one morning, and there was like, it was like somebody had taped a sticky note in my head, and on it was this, this phrase, it's time to go. And I could not shake that phrase in my head. Every morning, it was there, it was there, it was there. And it was just this, it's time to go, it's time to go. And so I sold up, I, I gave up my job, and I went and did what God had called me to do. And as I went, he showed, you know, God has not shown me the whole journey to my life. Because if he would have, I'd have probably been a bit of a Jonah and run the other way. God in his graciousness shows us just enough to make the next step. So the point is this, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the plan of salvation plus discipleship. That's the gospel. That's the good news. The good news is, is that Jesus will take away your sin, take away your punishment, and give you a totally abundant life, working and living in his kingdom here on earth, and then you'll be in eternity with him for all time. That is the gospel. And we've got to be really careful. Now, now, I make the same mistake because I've been brought up in a culture where we make the gospel the plan of salvation. I sometimes use it interchangeably, but I have to keep reminding myself discipleship is part of the gospel. You cannot be a believer without being a follower. Let me repeat that. You cannot be a believer without being a follower. I could give you a really practical example. Can you be a follower of a football team without actually watching any of the games or getting involved or going anywhere? Or are you really then a supporter of that football team? You're not. I mean, you see the supporters, don't you? They've got all the T-shirts. They know the names of all the players. It'd be interesting. Do we know the names of all the disciples? They know every match, they know every kick, they know everything. It is a demonstration that we need to be passionately involved with the whole of our life following. And it will cause us to make decisions that do not materially and humanly look wise, but in God's economy they are. When I left, I was a design engineer in Coventry. And when I gave it all up, people said, you're mad. You're ruining your future. 
You're ruining every possibility you've had. You're throwing away all the training that you've done. But I knew that God had called me. I knew that there was something more that Jesus wanted me to. And let me tell you, I am no exception. We look at people like Reinhard Bonke. We look at people like Billy Graham. And we think, yeah, but they're the special ones. That they're not. The only reason that we know them by name is because they said yes when Jesus called them. I don't know if you remember, but Reinhard Bonnke did a program in Europe, in the UK, called Minus to Plus. Anybody remember that? Yeah, Minus to Plus was when God had said to Reinhard, I want the, the, the printed gospel to go through every door in the United Kingdom. Every single door. Now, that's a mammoth task. Yep, I don't know how many houses we've got, 30 million, 20 million. Imagine if God said to you, I want you to post the gospel through every single door. But you know what Reinhard Bonnke said? He said, I was God's fourth choice. Can't remember if it's third or fourth, but it was one of those. But he certainly wasn't the first choice. God said to him, I have asked others, but they said no, and so now it falls on to you. The reason we know about him, because he always said yes. And I want to challenge you this morning. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? And when he asks you, will you say yes? Or will you be part of the silent throng that we don't know about because they said no? I find it a challenge. I cannot promise you an easy life in following Jesus, but I can, from my own testimony, say it's amazing. You know, following Christ, you know, I've had the opportunity to go to Pakistan, admittedly, under the gun barrels of the Mujahideen, but God got us through. I've had the opportunity to go to Myanmar, which is now a, a massive turmoil. You know, God will lead you to a fulfilled life. There's a, I've not watched it, but I, I watched a, a preview of a movie called The Whale. Very new movie, but there is a phrase there where this guy does a whole load of stuff, but he says quite passionately in the movie, he says, I need to know that I have done one thing that matters. And I don't know how you find it, but as you get older, you, you think a bit about legacy. What am I leaving behind? I need to do something that matters. And let me tell you, the only thing that really matters or that will matter for all eternity is fulfilling what God has called you to do. I could list the people. I mean, I'm going to mention one because next week is, is Mother's Day, Mary. I learned this week that her name is Mary Theotokos. Theotokos means that she is the mother of God. <laughs> this blows my mind. Mary, the mother of God, a teenager, and she became the mother of God. Why? She said, yes. We would not know of her if she said no, because it would be somebody else. 
It might be Brunhilde, the mother of God. Probably not, but you know. She said yes. You know, the woman who, amidst all the criticism, went and took the oil of nard or that perfume and broke it over Jesus' feet and wept over them and dried them with her hair. And Jesus says, you know what? She said yes. And what she has done will be mentioned and spoken about throughout all church history. I want to encourage you this morning that there is something uniquely yours in God. There is something that you can do that I can't do, that others can't do. It's uniquely yours. And God wants you to have the confidence that when you say yes, he doesn't take you into something that you can't handle. He doesn't do that. We go, you know, well, when I came to lead the church, I thought, what on earth, Lord? I don't know how to lead a church. And he said, well, that's okay then, because you're not the one leading it. I'm the, I'm the head of the church. You just need to do what I ask you to do. And that's how the Holy Spirit leads us to be fruitful in all that we do. So I want to encourage you this morning. God has called us to have an impact. One of the tragedies of the UK church of the last hundred years is we've lost our way. The UK is as it is because the church has lost its way and it is no longer the witness that it once was in changing the world. People like Wilberforce. You know, people who made a massive impact through uh, Parliament and other places. You know, we go through and we find that at the heart of every amazing social change in our nation was a man or woman of God that said yes to Jesus. And, and do you begin to understand why the gospel is so much bigger? Because if the gospel is only about sin management, if it's only about having our sins removed and going to heaven, it brings no benefit to how we live on the earth. But if the gospel is about following Jesus Christ and us being catalysts to change the world, then truly it's good news. We can change the UK, guys. We can change it. We can change it as the Holy Spirit gives us the gifts that we need and that we say yes to the call and we do the things and people go, wow, who are these people? You know, Graham Haynes is part of the street pastors and, the, you know, the, 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 there's always the comments from people, if it weren't for these street pastors, I'd be in trouble. There's some amazing stuff that is being done when people say yes, not just to salvation, but to discipleship. And the one thing I can tell you is a life with God is a life of fulfillment. It's a life of activity. You know, I, I don't go on theme parks and do the rides and stuff. I have enough theme park-like experiences daily that I don't need to sit on a ride that goes 90 degrees down into whatever. I tell you, God will give you a life that is amazing and fulfilled and that is impacted. <coughs> Pardon me. 
So I want to encourage you this morning. Now, you may be wondering, why have we got this picture up? Well, very simple. We did a bit of an experiment yesterday. We used two methods to share the gospel, and this is the one that won. Yeah. So this comes from a guy called Scott McNamara. Um, it is called Jesus at the Door. And it's got a very simple thing at the back, how to share the gospel. If you want to share the gospel with people, this thing shows you. And it's really quite simple. So you can go up to someone. So let's say I bumped into Dave in the road and I'd say to him, have you ever seen this picture or do you pray? And he might respond, yeah, I pray or no, I've never seen the picture. And then he can say, you know, this picture is about Jesus knocking at the door. This is what they put there. Jesus is knocking at the door. The handle's on the inside. Will you let him in? And you know, we might be people who pray, but a lot of people pray, and it's like praying through a door. They know somebody's there somewhere, but they don't quite know where. They don't personally have any response in terms of prayer. But when we open the door, we see Jesus face to face, and we get that direct connection with Jesus. Problem is, we do stuff that's wrong. So I'm going through the gospel here. We do stuff that's wrong. Imagine for a moment that you had a backpack on and it was filled with everything you've ever done that was wrong. I wonder how heavy that would be. Some of us would have bigger backpacks than others. Yeah. Now imagine for a moment that that sin in your backpack is a debt that you owe God, like a million pounds or whatever. It's a debt that you owe. And imagine that God comes down and he writes you a check in his blood, in Jesus, and he gives you the check and you take the check to the bank and your debt is wiped out. How would that make you feel? Make you feel amazing. Well, that's what Jesus has done. But we need to open the door. You can see there's like a heart shape. It's our heart. There's a door there. And Jesus is knocking there. And we need to open the door to our heart and ask him to come in to take away that debt. We need to receive it. And then we can ask the person, do you want to receive him? And if they go, yeah, we say, well, let's pray a little prayer. Jesus, forgive my sins. I open the door of my heart. I make you Lord of my life. Fill me with your spirit. Amen. Simple, isn't it? Simple little card you can put in your pocket. You can sit on the bus. One of the things that I like with this is it gets rid of the awkwardness of you looking the person in the eye all the time. You ever had that? You're talking to someone and they're looking you in the eye. You're looking them in the eye and it kind of feels, feels a bit like a staring contest. Whereas with this, you can both look at this. Oh, look. It's not the most amazing painting, but it's really good. You can leave it on your desk at work and people go, what's that? Funny you should ask. Now, the channel, I've, I've got a whole load of these, so you're welcome to take one after the service. If we need more, I'll get some more. We've bought them as a church. They're a pound each. I'm not asking you to pay, but if you want to put something in the offering to cover that, then please do. I'm going to leave them down here, and you're welcome to take one. They're well made, so they'll last long. They're thick card. You can put it in your pocket, in your purse, um, and you can share it. The thing that I want to challenge you in is that you're only ever going to get good 
by practice. I shared the gospel for a year before I really began to feel confident in sharing the gospel. Now, God worked in the gospel when I wasn't confident, but it took time. I want you to think for a moment for the place that you work or something that you regularly are involved with and do. It's only after you've been doing it for a while that you become confident in doing it. I'm going to use my wife as an example again. She's going to cringe. You know, she started a new job last year. And she was really, oh, I don't know whether I can do this. And you know, at the end of the day, she was tired and said, oh, wow, um, it's hard. I've got to think. I'm not quite sure if I've done it right, etc., etc." Now, no problem. Why? Because eight months on, she's done it that many times. She knows what she's doing. And with the gospel, the more you share the gospel with people, the more confident you will be in sharing the gospel. And, and don't be worried about the questions that people ask that you don't have the answer to. You just simply say, I don't know. I'm amazed at how many questions I've sidestepped because people ask you, things, ah, we've got you now, so I don't know. Oh, what about Jesus? You move on. So have a go. You can go with your family members. You can say, the pastor of my church has asked me to share the gospel, become familiar. Can I practice on you? I go, oh, yeah, no problem. Have a go. And share and keep practicing and keep practicing. If you're in a Christian home or a non-Christian home, practice. You can practice with your work colleagues on a break. Say, hey, I go to church. My pastor's asked me to share. I want to show you a little picture uh, and I want to ask you a few things. You know, it's just a test. Who knows what God will do? So I want to encourage you. God has a plan. He wants to use you. And you'll be amazed at what you see. You know, when you begin to see God at work, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing at what he will do. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to finish this morning.